0: Uh, so, hello, welcome back to the Indivisible DFW podcast. Um, we came out today for the, the Blue Wall Group uh, in, in Lakewood. Uh, they have a weekly meeting and every week they, tend, they always try to have a speaker. Um, so, previous speakers, we've had Victoria Niave, had Dominic Torres, who's running for city council. Um, and tonight, very exciting because they had a, a, a congressional candidate Uh, I was running in District 32, uh, Colin Allred, who I'm sitting with right now. Uh, So, Colin, thank you for coming out tonight. thanks, Jay. And thank you for for spending some time with me, sitting down and talking about this. So, at what point did you decide that you wanted to be a congressman? (laughs)
1: Um, I would go back a little further and say, at what point did I say we needed to do something, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And that, obviously, was November 9th. Um, my wife and I were watching the results come in, and uh, just like everyone else, we were shell shocked. Um, and I was in the Obama administration at the time, and I knew that I was going to have to go to work the next day and start preparing for the transition to the next administration that you know, I thought wouldn't care as much about the work that we're doing as we did. Um, and so I think that day, we just from there on, it's been building, building that we need to do something, we need to do something, and in the end, this is the uh, vehicle that I chose. So the You know, in the Obama White House at the
0: time, and I think a lot of people have always been kind of curious about what it was like, you know, reacting to that, you know, to the horror that had just occurred, you know, this Mm -hmm. disaster. Um, So, what was it like being
1: in the White House or being in the administration at the time? Um, It was like a funeral. uh, The day after, Uh, you know, there were people who were openly weeping. It was a, a sad day for people who really care deeply about their work. There were a lot of people. At uh, HUD, where I was working, in the Department of Housing and Urban Development, that did jobs that you would never hear about and that uh, are seemingly unimportant, but that make a big impact. And they, you know, people like that knew that their work was uh, potentially not going to be carried out any, anymore, and they knew who would be hurt by it. And um, you know, Secretary Castro was upset. Uh, the everybody in the department was upset. It was um, a bad day, but pretty soon thereafter, I think. Uh, in, in large part, to the president, thanks to the president's leadership, we picked ourselves up and said, okay, we're going to see this all the way to the end. We're going to do as much good as we can until we leave on January 20th. And we did that, I mean, all the way to the end. Uh, we were working 100%. And um, you know, I think we, we did our best to help the, to serve the American people during that time. And um, you know, now we're, I think, uh, in a moment where we need to find other ways to fight back. And, and my candidacy, I hope, is part of that.
0: So I think that, you know, immediately after the election, a lot of people were kind of hoping that, you know, President Obama would, you know, maybe refuse to go to the inauguration or, you know, refuse to shake Trump's hand or something like that. So why is it important that they did have the follow through?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's—I think the president rightfully thought of it as his final duty as president to ensure uh, the peaceful transition of power. It's one of the hallmarks of our democracy, and it's not guaranteed. You know, this is something that it takes good people to do every single time in order to make sure the transition happens. Particularly when it's such a jarring transition like this. Um, you know, I think that President Obama took the right note where he said, "You know, I'm not going to be responsible for the president-elect what he's saying, but I'm responsible for making sure we have a smooth transition." And I think he did that. And we worked very hard on preparing materials and everything that our successors would need. Whether or not they took that advice and whether or not they put those uh, our wisdom into practice, I don't know. But I know we did everything we could, and I think it was, um, like I said, President Obama was seeing it as his final duty as president mm-hmm. to see that across the line. So you know, I think that something that's
0: interesting is, uh, in a lot of places, there haven't been successors. Right. Um, you know, it all of the, um, you know, the Justice Department uh, lost a ton of great attorneys, mm-hmm. and they just haven't been replaced. That's right. Uh, so, in HUD, you know, when you're looking at these different departments, uh, I think that it's been interesting to see how the civil service mm-hmm. has reacted. So the people that are there today, you know, how are they keeping the
1: lights on when there's no leadership yeah. uh, to, to kind of yeah. push forward? Well, there's a good and a bad side to this, mm-hmm. okay? so the, uh, When you don't have what we call political leadership in place, which means appointees, you have acting people so that you have career service folks who are serving as enacting roles until uh, someone is appointed to that position to take over those roles. And so a lot of those career folks will continue to do what they've been doing in a lot of cases. Uh, that's just the natural uh, inertia of going to a, the same job every day. You're going to wake up every day and do a similar thing to what you did the day before. And so a lot of the uh, work that we did is probably still being carried on by those acting Career service folks. So that's the good side of it. The bad side of it is that uh, the American people are, now have uh, large holes in their executive branch that are not being filled. We have a skeleton crew basically running the executive branch, and you you'll see it in small ways. You know, uh, God forbid we have any kind of disaster, uh, there won't be the uh, you know person power in place in some cases to respond quickly with whatever the administration might want to do. Uh, you know you can go down the line. There's a million small things that appointees see out um, that I don't know how they're going to be handled now. Uh, and that's part of why this administration has been so dysfunctional is that they don't have their own people in place. And so I think there's a good side to that and a bad side to it. you mm-hmm. know. And basically, um, I think that we all owe a ton of respect and a debt of gratitude to our career s- civil servants in the government. A lot of them are doing jobs that are they don't get a lot of, you know, fanfare or press, but it, it helps keep the lights on, as you said.
0: So, so let's, let's take it back from Washington to District Thirty-Two, uh, the district that we're currently sitting in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one thing that the Obama administration was really, or the B- Obama campaign, if was really focused on, was was that message of change. You know, it was after eight years of uh, Bush, it mm-hmm. was time for something different, right. um, and Obama was that change. So when you look at District 32, you know, why does this district need change?
1: Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, part of it uh, is that we have a long-term incumbent who I think has uh, drifted from the district, and, and I think he's drifted from it in terms of his connection to it, he's drifted from it in terms of his policies and, and whether or not those are in, li- in line with the, with the desires of the district. But I think you know also part of it is that we've had a, an area that's rapidly changing. And we've had a lot of new people come there. We're rapidly diversifying. This area is one of the most dynamic areas in the country in terms of its growth and change. And I think along, along with that, it requires us to, to now react politically and have some change in terms of our leadership that's more reflective of the district and the views of the district. And uh, you know, I think that that's something that hopefully we can do here in this campaign.
0: And so why are you the right person to bring that change?
1: I think, you know, I was born and raised in this district. Um, by a single mother who taught in our public schools for nearly 30 years, and taught in these Dallas public schools for a long time. Uh, this is my home, I, wherever I've gone, whether it's the NFL, uh, the White House, or as a civil rights attorney, I've looked at things through the prism of my experience here in North Texas. And uh, you know, I, so I know this area deeply, and I, I think that who we are as a people is not being represented right now in Washington. And so what I wanna do is take the lessons that, and the platform that the folks in this area gave me to uh, to Washington to actually make uh, to give us representation. I think that is more re- reflective of how we feel.
0: Okay. So in 2017, um, what are some things that people in this area who are focused on that 2018 change, the November 2018? What are some things that we can do now uh, to push that ball forward? Yeah.
1: Well, there's a lot to do. This is a huge, huge thing. So. Uh, we all have to acknowledge that if we want to see a change in this district, it's going to require a, a group effort. Um, so, the first thing we can do is get involved in our campaign. I would encourage anyone who's listening to this to go to colinallred.com. That's uh, Colin 1L, uh, not 2 like the county, and all red like all blue. Uh, go to the, our website, sign up to be a volunteer. Uh, we'll put you to work, I promise. We can get on the doors, we can make phone calls, and we can reach out to some of the folks who we need uh, to get out and vote to flip this district. So there's a ton of groundwork to lay uh, in, this, in 2017 in order to make 2018 successful. One of my favorite uh, sayings is that uh, you create your own luck and that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. So if we're prepared and the opportunity comes, then I think we can really get lucky in 2018.
0: Okay, so one more question for 2017. Um, who's going to be the best college football team in Texas, <laughs> in, Texas. in 2017?
1: You know, I, I can't go anywhere else than Baylor. You know, i played at Baylor, I was a captain at Baylor. Uh, you know, I. I have, to, I have to stick really with
0: that. you think that Baylor uh, listen, is going to do with this? It's not,
1: about, it's not about what I think. It's about <laughs> what I feel. This is a gut feeling.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, uh, we'll have to see. Um, I'm looking forward to what Tom Herman's going to do at UT. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it interesting. Yeah, you know, I
1: hope Tom does well there, except when he plays Baylor.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Colin, thanks for uh, yeah, thanks, sticking Jerry. around and chatting with it. us. And uh, if you're interested in finding out more about Colin, go to his website, look him up on Facebook. He's got a lot of interesting stuff there. Thanks for listening to the Indivisible DFW podcast. If you liked what you heard, then please subscribe. Um, You can subscribe on iTunes. uh, Also write a review if you like it. Uh, You can follow us uh, on Twitter. It's DFW Indivisible. Facebook, facebook.com slash Indivisible DFW. We also have Instagram, Indivisible DFW. And you can find our website, indivisibledfw.org. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.